0: Welcome to another episode of Daf Shmui, give me 40 minutes or so, and I'll give you a Daph or so. I am Aryeh Cohen. I am so pleased to welcome you into the Daf Shmui Beit Midrash in sunny Southern California on a beautiful day. Slightly chilly for Southern California, high 60s. Birds outside frolicking in the trees, people walking by. It's just gorgeous here. So we are in the Gemara in Bava Batra, Bavli, Bava Batra um, on page Daf yud gimla 13b in the, in, if you are following along in the edition as reproduced from the edition that was printed by the brothers and the widow Ra'im, it's on, uh, it's, let's see, three, two lines, second line from the bottom. If you go, if you click in the podcast, click through to the podcast website, there are links to where you can follow along in. Either Hebrew books has the Vilna page, Safaria or al hatura have other pages. Safaria has an English translation. All of them have the same text, though set out in different ways. Here we are. Okay, two lines from the bottom. Snorabbanan and 13b. Last week, if you remember, we were just finishing off a conversation about dividing all kinds of different things, and we ended up in a question of how you divide scriptures that are rolled into a scroll. And that's where we get to this week's text, Tzner no So Tzner no is the way that the Talmud introduces a text that they are about to discuss, which adds information to the previous conversation. Tzner no literally means our sages taught. Torah If a person wants to attach scrolls of Torah, First five books of Moses, Nivim, the central, all the prophets from Joshua through to the 12, right, through the 12 smaller prophets, Ukhtuvim, the writings, as one, then a person is allowed to do that. There's no problem with that. and But he has to leave space on the parchment, on the cloth that he's using, at the beginning, in order to wrap it around a dowel that's used as we know from the safer tar from the tar scroll in the beginning and at the end in order to have enough left over from the parchment from the cloth to wrap around the scroll now beginning and end here is as rashi explains kind of misleading because the beginning is not actually the beginning it's the end since their scrolls were not rolled doubly were not rolled to the center but were rolled only one way if you know the way that a megillah is rolled. So actually, it's attached to the wooden dowel at the end of the scroll, which right, which the Gemara hero is calling the beginning, a little misleading way. Tosso points out that that's misleading and that you should actually change the text to say that that's the end, because it is actually the end of the scroll. So the end of the scroll, you attach to the dowel, but that's actually the beginning of the way you roll it. And then when you finish rolling it, you have enough left over to wrap around the whole scroll and when you get to the end of torah or the end of the prophets or a book of the prophets you finish on the bottom of the column and then you start on the top of the column and then if you want to cut and divide torah scroll from the Nebi, from the prophet scroll from the writing scroll then that's okay okay so now the question here is going to be about this last phrase So why did he have to ask if he wants to cut? He can cut. Obviously, if you can put it together, you can take it apart. Now this is what, so the the anonymous voice tells us that this is what is going on. So actually what it's saying is that so that you finish on the bottom of the column and you continue on the top of the column so that if you want to then cut them apart, you don't have to go in any crazy way to try to cut them apart, that then you have a natural point to stop. And you just have to cut the column. You don't have to worry about the fact that you're leaving part of the column of the beginning of the book of Joshua with the end of the book of Deuteronomy. Okay, we continue. Raminu. we ask the question. Raminu is usually when the Gemara takes two texts and points out that there's a contradiction between them. Now the question is, what will that be? So the, we have, there is another text which says at the beginning of the book and the end of the book you have to leave over in order to wrap it around. Gulai, what does it mean to, to wrap it around? Gulgul to wrap it around, you might know that word from glila, when you wrap the Torah on Shabbat. If you're saying that it means that you leave enough to wrap it around the dowel, so then that's difficult because what about leaving enough to wrap it around the scroll itself? If you're saying that you need leave enough so that it has enough to wrap it around the scroll itself, so then it's difficult because what about wrapping around the dowel? It seems to contradict the previous text. It says in the beginning you do the dowel, in the end you do wrapping around itself. So Nachman Yitzchak says that actually it was intended in this kind of ambiguous way to answer both questions in the beginning, around the dowel, at the end, around the scroll itself. Meaning, in the beginning of rolling around the dowel, at the end, in the end of rolling, which is the beginning of the scroll, around the scroll itself. Rav Ashi says, Rav Ashi says, says, no, because there, where they're talking about kidei Lagul, in order to wrap it around the dowel, they're talking about a Sefer a Torah scroll, in which both the front and the back you wrap around the dowel like we do it. And then when you roll it, you roll it as they say, la to the middle, right? So that there are in, both in the beginning and the end, you need enough cloth, enough parchment to wrap around the dowels. <speaking in Spanish> as we learn in another Brides of so fun. all of the scrolls are rolled from the beginning to the end. <speaking in Spanish> but a Sefer Torah, but a scroll of Torah, is rolled to the middle. Meaning and makes it, gives it, and they you make for it a dowel in the beginning and in the end, meaning like our Torah scrolls. said, Osin And said, actually in Jerusalem, all the scribes there would make all of their books that way. Okay another text that's brought into the conversation. So now since we're talking about how a Torah looks materially, right, in other words, what is it that the Torah, that's in the Torah, that the, the Torah is, how do you make a Torah? You do not make a Torah, should be each piece of parchment should be the same width and height. So each piece of parchment of the Torah. Shalu at Rebi, so they asked Rebbe Yehudah Nasi, shiur sefer Torah bekamah, what is that measurement? How high or wide should a sefer Torah, piece of cloth be? Amarlehem begvil shisha, b'kama So he said there's a difference between a gvil and a klav. So gvil, and actually here, this is kind of, this is the same word, gvil, it means an unfinished parchment. And it goes back to the beginning. If you remember all the way in the beginning of the of the Masachet, we talked about gvil and xifin, gvilin and ksifin. Gvil is an unfinished piece of uh, stone that we use in buildings, so it's not filed down on the end. Here, gvil is a piece of parchment in which all you did was take off the, you had the leather and just took off the hair and then you wrote on it. So on that, it's six and cloth, which is actually you, Peel it open and on the inside, you write on the inside, which is a more finished document. says, I don't know how much it is in the cloth. So it says six fachim in the gvil, and I don't know how much it is in the cloth. Rahuna Katab. So now it says, now, so now we're going on to talk about people, famous scribes. Rahuna Katab, Shivin writer. Huna wrote 70 Torah scrolls, and there was only one of them in which the height and the width was the same. Rav Acha bar Yaakov chad de igle Rav Acha wrote one on a, on the leather of an agelah a sheep, and it turned out right. And it happened that it was the length and the width was the same. Yahu Rabban Einaihu. so the rabbis were all jealous of him because he did this one. He only did one and he got it right. He got it right the first time. V'nachnafsheh. And because now it's not clear whether they were jealous of him and therefore he died, or they were jealous of him and they pushed him out of the chabura and he died of loneliness. But he, they were jealous of him. <laughs> and he died. Amar Rabbanan, the Rabbam Hamnuna, the sage, who said to Rab Hamnuna, Rabbi Ami dalin Sifre Torah. Rabbi Ami wrote four hundred Torah That's a lot. How do you write four hundred Torah scrolls? So Amar LeRab Hamnuna said back to him, Dil Torah ziba lana when you say he wrote 400 Torah scrolls, maybe you mean Torah Sivalano Moshe, Merashah Kilat Yaakov, which in and of itself is considered its own scroll. right? So that's, so that's considered its own sefer. So therefore, maybe that's what he just wrote a little. And that pointed to the fact that so he wrote that 400 times. And that's as if he wrote 400 Torah scrolls. I'm aware, and it, it, while we're talking about examples of synecdoche, of, of small things that, that actually point to larger things. So Rav said to Rav that Rav had planted 400 vineyards. Rav Yannay said, well, I don't know if that's so true. Maybe actually what he planted was two vines, opposite two vines, and then one that's trailed out from it, and that's like a small carol, that's like the minimal amount for a vineyard, and then he planted 400 of those. Okay, so now the interesting thing here is, before we go on, now we're going to move on to the next stage in kind of the thinking about the materiality of a Torah scroll. is going back to thinking about the materiality of the art, in which the tablet, the luchot were kept, and a Torah scroll was also kept there. So just to think about an idea, is that what's interesting here is that what this conversation is about is not the content of torah not the substance of what does torah mean the interpretation of torah the meaning of torah which is what the rabbis are all about but rather the materiality of torah which is as important torah as object here is as important as torah as study right? as torah as content substance commandment wisdom okay and we saw a little bit before In the beginning, when we talked about construction pointing to the Beit HaMikdash, all dividing of courtyards then leads into the discussion of the temple, here too, perhaps, all dividing leads to higher dividing, and maybe there's something here about the fact that all material culture points to sacred culture, or the opposite, all sacred culture points to material culture and they're actually indelibly intertwined with each other. Okay. So now the Gemara is going to ask the question, a, a challenge is posed. Once again, I have to apologize because there's a little math here. I don't know why I have to apologize for the math, but you know what? There is math. So there's a writer that says that the ark that Moshe built, Moshe made, is two and a half amot long, one and a half amot wide, and one amah high. Ba'ma bat shisha t'fachim, And this is talking about an anama which is six tefas long. So that means that it's 15. So those who have a paper and pencil, it's 15 Fahim long, nine Fahim wide, and nine Fahim high. Va'aluchot, or kan shisha, rochban shisha. And the tablets were six wide, each one, and six high, six t'fachim wide and six t'fachim high and three T'vachim thick they were put in the ark lengthwise lengthwise to the ark so therefore six, each one was six wide so that was 12, it took up 12 T'vachim of the 15 T'vachim of the ark so how much did the Luchot take up did the tablets take up in the ark 12 T'vachim Nishteru sham shnei tefachim. So there are three tefachim left over. Samehen tefach chetzel kol tozef, chetzel So get rid of one tefach, which is a half tefach for each wall of the ark. Nishteru sham shnei tefachim. So there are two tefachim left over. Shemahen sevriturah munaf because there, and that's where the sevriturah rested in the ark together with the luchot. Shneamar ein baron rak luchot avanim asher. Heiniach sham Moshe, as it says in Melachim, in Kings. The only thing that there is in the Aaron are the two tablets, which Moshe put there. And so why does it say, Ain my Ain ba rock Why does it use this phrase, there is not in the ark only, ain't Rock" as if there's a redundant negative. Miut achar because it's in order to imply two things, or exclude two things, the two exclusions are to include something. What is it to include? Saber Torah, Shemunafba Ba'aron. That is the scroll of Torah, which is in the which is in the Ark. That takes up the whole width of the Ark. You have one Tafah, which is a half tafak on each side per wall, twelve Tfachim, which are the Luchot, one next to the other, and then two Tfachim left over for the Sefer Torah, for a Torah scroll. Pirnaz ta'aron la'orko. So that makes sense. You've just filled up the Ark in its length. Say farneis aron la'orko. So now, does that work in its width? Kam ochlot Baron Shishat t'vachim. So the, remember, the width of the Ark is nine t'vachim, right, one and a half amot. So how much of that is taken up by the luchot? Six t'vachim. Each one is three y. Nishtayrui Shat shah t'vachim. You have three t'vachim. Left over Same hand. Tefach, chetziolakotelzev, chetziolakotelzev. So you have a half a tefah for each side for the wall, just like the other walls. And so you're left again with two tfachim. Why do you have that extra two Tefachim? So that a Sefer Torah could be taken in and out easier. That's what Rumeir says. Actually, talking about in amah, that's five t'vachim. And luchot again are six long and six wide, and and three thick. So they are laid down lengthwise in the aron. So how much does the luchot take up in the aron? Again, still still twelve t'vachim. but then shteir sham tefa. But then you're only left over with a half a tefach because you lost in two and a half amot, you lost three tefachim because of the fact that it's now five and not six or two and a half tefachim. Right? So you're left over with a half a tefach. Etzbalakotelzev, etzbalakotelzev, so you only take a finger's width for each wall. And that's how much, that's how you have. So you just have room there for the tablets, for the luchot. And then so this is. In the length, why? What happens in the width of the ark? So how much does the tablet take up? Six again. Again, you have one and a half left over. Same hand, So You have one and a half, left over. So and a half left over. Actually, it's one tefach. one and a half left over for each wall. So you have one tefach left over, and that's where the pillars. Right? They're they're not pillars like grand pillars, but they're pillars inside the aron, kind of for decoration. Shlomo made a bower in a purion from the cedars of Lebanon, and it's pillars, amudav, he made out of silver, and then he put a gold covering on them, refidato zahav, and that's merkavo argaman, and then he put them in purple writing on top of it. Okay, so that is, and that apiriyah, so there's a number of interesting things here, right? First of all, the fact that here, the proof text for this is a text, is a verse from from the Song of Songs, in which the Song of Songs is used, is understood by the rabbis allegorically, And when understood allegorically, it's understood as as oftentimes as a love song between God and Israel. And so therefore, oftentimes, many of the verses are understood as referring to the tabernacle, which is seen as kind of the wedding place of God and Israel. And so the apirion here is not kind of like a sukkah in the back where lovers sit, but rather it is where the sign of the love between God and Israel sits, and that is the tablets. So the apirion is the ark of the covenant, the, the, the Aron HaKodesh, the sacred art. And that's why that goes. Now, the other thing here is that there's an interesting thing here in the manuscripts, it, it says, Kamaluchot Ochlot. How much do the tablets take up? And it says that twice. Now, the manuscripts are all over the place in terms of what that word is, Ochlot, right? Literally means consumes, right? So it takes up space. But some of the manuscripts have Ogdot. Now, Ogdot is an interesting word because it's kind of rare l'agod is to gather together, or a god is to stick together. So, and if it just happened once, so you'd think it was just like a, a, a scribal error. But most of the manuscripts have ogdot either in the first or the second, and some of them in both appearances of the word here in kama luchot ochlot. Ogdot, how much do the tablets and then the word would be something like take up, right? So, ogdot, how much space. Are they bringing together in that place? Now, the interesting thing is I just point this out because of the fact that there is a kind of a principle in uh, critical study that if you have manuscripts and there's a something called the more difficult reading, And the more difficult reading is probably the right reading. But this, of course, is a supposition. But the supposition is based on the fact that people will domesticate or make easier a more difficult reading, like making ogdot into ochlot but not make a more an easier reading into a more difficult reading. They wouldn't change ochlot into ogdot. So it could it's put very well be that here we have an example of a word ogdot which is using a part of the semantic field of ogdot which is not really in use anymore to mean now I mean eged in rabbinic Hebrew means sticks together but does not mean take up space and here it might also it might point to the fact that it also means Take up space, just like ochlot means in this case. Okay, now we move on. And now we're moving on into other questions about the the materiality of the Ark. The case that the Philistines sent as a present to the God of Israel is set on the side of it. Now, if you remember, the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant and then after... God got pissed off at them and did all kinds of nasty things to their gods. They sent it back and they sent it back with a present to appease God. Right? This is in Samuel. Shneamar that clay has a hava sher hashivotim lo ashem baargaz mitzido oto And so the gold vessels which you returned to God as a guilt offering, in other words, they sent back a case with gold with, with gold vessels as an offering, you shall put in the case next to it, meaning next to the ark, and send it to them. Shalatimotov b'alach, right? Send it to them along the way, as on the way. The Allah of to Ramanach, so that, so if you picture in your mind, that wooden case, which held this guilt offering from the Philistines, was standing next to the Ark, and on top of it was a safer Torah, because according to the calculation, which only has of five, Amot of five there's no room inside the Ark for the Torah scroll. so therefore the Torah scroll is sitting next to it. Sh'temar, right? la'koch et Sefer otom aron brit adunai, because it says in varim, and they use this in the proof text, that you should take the safer, the Torah scroll, this Torah scroll, and put it next to Mitzah, next to the Ark of the Covenant. Mitzah ben and it's rested next to it and not inside it. Umani Kayem, ein ba'aron rak, right? And what do I, so now, what do I do with that double negative that I had before in the verse where it says, Ain ba'aron rak, the tablets of David? So why do I have that not on, only not. Now, here is one of the most interesting things which the rabbis come to in kind of an offhanded way. This is to remind us and to bring in to include the fact that the broken tablets were rested rested in or placed in the ark. Okay, so now we're going to leave this here for a moment. We're going to get back to that in a minute six teffs. Mechti kash yes betifash six teffs yes borokh av teffa. And if you're going to say that a safrata is six tefach, right? We said before that it's uh six teffs wide. So six tefachs high, kash yes betifash six teffs yes borokh av Anything that has three teffs around has a width of a tefach. mathematical principle. It came in the lemma C Nafish since it is rolled to the middle so it has two parts of it i don't know what the two parts are called when they roll them together each part around the dowel roll it together to the middle because that's how we do it horizontal so there are more than the two tefafs that we have left over in the aron according to the six tefaf to anama thesis so what do we do with those nafish let me the so we at more than the two tefaks left over, so how do we get the Sehriturah in the Arom? Amrav Acha Bar Yaakov, Sephir Azarat Kilatohuniglao. So Rab Achah says that the scroll in the Azarah, that's in the sanctuary is rolled all the way to the beginning. Bakati tre betrey Heqiyativ. So how does it sit into Amot? Amrav Ashri, the car of be of a So actually. It's not, they, they, they tweak it a bit. They, they roll it and then they, there's some left over and they put that on top of it and then they fold it that way. So it's, it sits on top of the Aron. In the Aron, but on top of where the Luchot are. This week's podcast is brought to you by Luchot, the Luchot, Artistic Restoration. When it's time to get those broken potsherds out of the basement and put them back together just the way they were when they got here with the Judean exiles, you want the restoration experts of Luchot V'shivrei Luchot on your side. And for this month only, listeners to this podcast will get a 20% discount on their first restoration. Just go to www.luchotv'shivreluchot.com slash That's www.luchotv'shivreluchot, just the way it sounds, dot com slash to make an appointment. Okay. Now we go on. We Reb Yehuda, and according to Reb Yehuda, Mikame Delete. According to Reb Yehuda, says there are five tefachim in an amma. Mikame Delete. Before there was this wooden box which was sent back by the Philistines, where would the sefer Torah be? Because according to Reb Yehuda's five to an amma, there's no room inside the ark. So there was a shelf that came out of the aron and sat on that. The yated ilve sefer and the sefer Torah sat on that. Rabbi Mayer hai mitzad aron may avilei. And so, but well now, what does Rabbi Mayer do with the verse in Dvarim that says that you place the sefer Torah ha aron on the side of the aron? Because Rabbi Mayer says that you actually place it inside the aron. Ha hu mi this verse is needed. That you put it next to the tablets and you don't put it in between the tablets because the two tablets are separated one from the other. Each one is six wide. So you might think that you put the Sefer in between the two of them in some sort of arrangement, but rather you don't. You put it on the side. And you always put it on the side. Rabbi Meir. So according to so Rabbi Meir, where do you put the amudim, Amude keseh, right? Where do you put the pillars? Because there's no more room inside the aron. Mibray. So those pillars are actually outside the aron and not inside the aron. baron minole. So now they ask another question. So how does Rabbi Meir know that the broken tablets were inside the ark? He learns this out from something. He derives it from something that Rav Huna said. I am Rav Huna. Rav Huna said, "My dechtiyah shenikras sham shame adunay tzvaot yoshev hakruvim alav." It says that it is called the name shenikras Shem, The name what name? The name of God of tzvaot sitting in sitting between the cherubs. This verse, which says shame twice, perhaps, teaches us that both the whole tablets and the broken tablets were resting in the Ark. The idah. how does Rabbi Yehuda know that the Sheberi are in there? How am I going to like to look at Rabbi Yochanan? So Rabbi Yehuda learns it from that which Rabbi Yochanan says. Rabbi Yochanan quotes the name of Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai. He's called the name of because he says that the, he learns it from the fact that the name learns from this, the fact that the name and all of the ways that we call God all the euphemisms for the name of God are in the Ark. And so, what is now we go now we're going back to Rabbi Mayer. What does he do with this? So he also agrees with that. So how do you know that the broken tablets that were are in the Aron Now the Yosef you learned this out from this that Rabbi Yosef taught that's near Yosef taught asher shibarta so where it says asher shibarta so it says in dvarim yudbet when after Moshe comes down from Sinai and sees that Israel is being idolatrous they're worshiping the golden calf Moshe breaks the luchot and then God says, "Moshe, And there's a kind of ambiguous move in that verse, because God says, "And I will write on the tablets the things that were on the first tablets, which you broke, and you will place them in the ark." So now the question is, what is God saying you should place in the ark? And asher shibarta that could be you should place in the could be modifying. And I will write on the tablets. So that could be the new tablets. Or it could be. Or it could be the tablets that you broke. So here Rabbi Yosef is saying. That he's reading that the samtim is modifying that which you broke. And that both the tablets and the broken tablets are in the ark. And so how does. Now we're back to. Rabbi Mayer has he learned Luchot and Shiveri Luchot? Lichet Reish Lakish, Dam Reish Lakish Asher Shibarta So Reish Lakish says that when God says to Moshe in that verse Asher Shibarta Luchot, Asher Shibarta, that which you broke Malo Kodesh Varechol Moshe Yashher Kochacha Shibarta You should be strengthened that Yashkayah, as people say Yashher Kochacha, your strength shall be reinvigorated that you broke the Luchot, the tablet. And then we go on. So here, in the way of the Talmud, one of the most powerful ideas, the fact that the broken Luchot are not gotten rid of, but are kept around, the fact that God says to Moshe, it's a good thing that you broke the Luchot. is a Hasidic Torah, a Hasidic teaching that says that why did Moshe break the Luchot, because when he came down, he saw that they were dancing around the golden calf. He understood that they wouldn't understand that the tablets, that the symbolized Torah, which was living and has to be constantly interpreted and studied, and would make them into an idol. So therefore, he broke them. To show them, perhaps, no, this is not supposed to be static, but constantly changing. So therefore, they kept both the Luchot and the Shivrin Luchot. There are many, this is, you know, but this is in the way of, of the Talmud. The Talmud doesn't explain itself, just leaves this massively powerful idea. The fact that you have the broken tablets together with the whole tablet. In the own, perhaps, the fact that the tablets themselves are essentially broken. They're essentially, the Word of God is essentially not understandable and essentially not whole. One idea I want to leave you with on this is that this idea of the Shirei Luchot, the broken Luchot, appears many times, it appears in the Tosefta, appears in Yerushalmi. In the Tosefta, there are two versions of this which talk about the broken Luchot and where they are. And there, there's a notion that there are actually two arcs, two Aronot. Rabbi Yehuda ben Lakish Omer so one version of it says the following and, and these two versions cannot be reconciled ripshall lieberman dean of Talmud scholars in the 20th century taught at jts for many many years and wrote a critical edition of the tosefta and a commentary on it called Tosefta Kifshuta. and in and he usually uses the vienna manuscript and then uh, in the bottom in the critical apparatus writes the variant readings from other manuscripts and in sota after the third paragraph in sota third chapter in sota he Divides up into two columns, saying you can't reconcile between the two, and you can't decide that one tradition is more is earlier than the other or original or whatever to some extent. So we have two parallel traditions. The first of the following, and Lakish Omer, or and Lakish says, "Shnei aronotayu. There were two arcs. Echad imahen one that goes out with them to war, shi one that stays in the camp. the one that goes out with them to war. That one had the Sefer Torah. It says the Ark of the Covenant travels before them. The one that stays in the camp is the one that has the broken tablets in it. Because there's another verse which is almost parallel, but it says that the Ark of God and Moses did not leave the camp. So, in one, the Ark of the Covenant goes out in front of the people in war, and the other one, the Ark of the Covenant stays in the camp. So, they use this to say there are two different arcs one which has the sacred Torah, and the other one which has the broken tablets in it. Then, the second version of this is Rebutim ben Lakish Omer. Again, said, ben Lakish says, There were two arcs. The one that went out to war had the broken tablets, because it says, and they went forth from the mountain of God in three days. And this one that was with them in the camp had a Torah scroll, because it says, and they went up to attack. But what's fascinating? So, so if we look at the second version, the version that's in the Erfurt manuscript says that the ark that went out with them to war was the ark that had the broken tablets. The ark that had the broken tablets. So I like to take that idea and understand that the reason that the ark that had the broken tablets had to go out with them to war is because if you're going to war and there are times that war Torah is commanded, but if you're going to war, the broken tablets remind you that at best, it's a Bidiyavad. At best, this is something that is connected to idolatry, which is how the tablets were broken in the first place. Not that it is idolatry, but that there is a a taint of, of sinful behavior, even in a war, which might have been mandated. And therefore, when you go out to war, you take the broken tablets with you to check yourself okay so now that we finished with the material construction of the Torah scroll the material construction of the ark and and again i want to it seems to me really important that we are talking here about material construction there are other places also and one of the places is in in the middle of discussions of sacrifices and the temple there's a whole there's like Masachet Sefer Torah, Masachet Stam, that there's like a tractate about the writing of Sefer Torah and the specific ways that the letters look, etc., and so forth. The materiality of these objects is as important at times to the sages as is their meaning. Okay, enough said. So now we're going on to the, we're beginning to talk about the they themselves, but here also just the canon, the order. Tsnarebanan, there is another text that the sages taught this is the order of the prophets right meaning that what in what order are the prophets placed in the Canon so the 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 order is Joshua judges Samuel King which is the same way that we have it in our Tanakh. Yirmiyahu, Yichestel, Yeshua, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Isaiah, which is not the way we have it. We have actually Isaiah first. and then the 12 minor prophets, or small prophets. Michtei Hosea Kadim, but Hosea, the prophet Hosea, actually prophesied before Isaiah. because it says, and the beginning of the word of God, was in hosea was with hosea because so there since the word of god was with hosea first so from moshe until hosea how many prophets were there and Rabbi yochanan says that that hosea was the first of four prophets that prophesied in that time these are them Hosea, Vieshaya, Amos, Umiha. So it's Hosea and Isaiah and Amos and Micha, Micah. So why don't we have Hosea first? Everybody agrees that Hosea prophesied first. It seems in the tradition that Hosea prophesied first. So why don't we have Hosea first? Symphonists so saying no because his prophecy was written together or in relationship to the prophecy of. Chagai, Zechariah, and Malachi. But is Zechariah, and Malachi, sofdabiim And Chagai, Zechariah, and Malachi were the last of the prophets, were considered the last of the prophets. Bahaday, Chashir le So he was considered as part of that group. So why not take him out so Now we're assuming that you have to have all the 12 that are bundled together as one thing. So, Lichtabelechudem, Lichtamayu. So why not? Remove them and write them separately, and then put Hosea before Isaiah. Put Hosea before Yesha. And Since it was a smaller prophet, so you put it together with the others. That doesn't seem to be an amazing answer, but there you go. It sounds like an editorial answer. Since Isaiah Actually, prophecy before Jeremiah, be yecheskel, and before Ezekiel, lichtemay liyashayav so Why not have yashayav reishis, which is actually what we have in our Tanach? Since the end of Kings is the churban abayit, is the destruction of the of the temple and exile, And Jeremiah is all destruction, Nechemta and Ezekiel begins with destruction and ends with comfort. And all of Isaiah's prophecies are comfort prophecies. So, therefore, we put churban, destruction, next to destruction, meaning Jeremiah's prophecies right after the telling of the destruction at the end of Kings. And we put comfort next to comfort, meaning the end of Jeremiah's comfort and Isaiah himself, his own prophecy is completely comfort. So it's interesting we see here that by the time of the Talmud, they did not have the canonical order of the prophets and the canonical order of the prophets probably didn't come around for a while until uh, the Ketar Aram Tula manuscript is the earliest manuscript that we have of all of Tanakh, which seems to have our order of the books in Tanakh. Okay, we're going to stop here. And it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, once again, I wanna give a shout out and a great thank you to Ellie Unger-Sargon. Unger-Sargon, who is the sound editor whose firm hands-on controls makes this intelligible. Please, if you feel so moved, rate the podcast. It's like a rating thing and you could write a comment. I would love to hear from you and tell your friends Everybody should come join us. We will have a Beit Midrash, and the sound of Tzahala Simcha, the sound of Kulash el Torah, will resound throughout the world. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. See you next week.